0: Thank you, Father, for uh, our time together. We pray, God, that be blessed of your spirit and that you would give us understanding and wisdom in the word. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Awesome. So we are in Deuteronomy chapter 14. And if you remember, we went through the great smorgasbord of uh, wonderful things that you can and cannot eat as a Jewish person. Uh, again, one of the greatest qualifiers for what you can and cannot eat here seems to be on two fronts. Number one, what is mostly prohibited is because they are scavengers. Uh, number two, it's just what God said to do, so that that ends up being pretty plain, cut and dry. Uh, we end with uh, verse twenty-one in chapter fourteen of Deuteronomy: "You shall not eat anything which dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is in your own who is in your town, so that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy are a holy people." to Yahweh your Elohim you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's <laughs> milk and if you remember we talked about how that was a fertility practice so the idea is is that if you're a Jew and you're out with your car and you hit a deer you can sell it to a foreigner you're not supposed to, <laughs> to do it yourself kind of thing so yes you
1: can eat all the all the grasshoppers
0: and all the grasshoppers all you the, want
1: all the dumping insects that you want
0: crazy I can have a so, like,
1: full diet on my way home there we go a full meal Ugh.
0: So starting chapter 14, verse 22, this takes a turn, and from here to the end of the chapter is going to be talking about the nature of the tithe, and so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about how it runs in relation to the church age, why it's different, uh, and and what that looks like. So chapter 14, (coughs) verse 22, you shall surely tithe, and real quick, that Hebrew word, one-tenth. We were probably pretty familiar with that uh, if we've grown up in church. One-tenth is what it is. You shall tithe. All the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year, uh, does anybody know why this is?
1: Uh, don't they give it to the Levites.
0: Okay. What else? That's
1: all I got right
0: now. Okay. <laughs> well, remember, anytime that you're giving it to the Levites and you're giving it to the priests, it is a it is a means of ultimately giving it to the Lord. And so, in doing so, you're honoring the Lord. They would have something like the Feast of First Fruits. And the doctrine of first fruits is very important to understand. By taking the beginning of your crop and giving a tenth of it to God, you are not only saying, Thank you for supplying this for me, but we're also giving this to you in faith that there's more to come that's going to be greater. Uh, so, it's an act of worship, is what it actually is. Number two, it also teaches a means of stewardship within the home. You go out and you plant a field of something, and let's say you're just going to have, I don't know, watermelons. That comes to mind because that sounds good. Uh, but you're going to have all these watermelons that go on, and you're sanctioning off a ten of them, and you're giving them to the priests in dedication to God. That's going to train you to have to live off of 90% of what you have. Okay, so that's important. Plus, when we get into chapter 15, we're going to see how some of that would branch over more implications. But the idea is it's a stewardship principle as well. So you've got 90% to work with. So it says here, Uh, of your produce of what you sow which comes out of the field every year so it needed to be accounted for verse 23 you shall eat in the presence of Yahweh your Elohim at the place and you want to mark that because this goes back to chapter 12 with the whole idea of sacred spaces God is the one who designates where he's worshipped before this time everybody could worship what they wanted to Uh, Sorry, where they wanted to, not what they wanted to, where they wanted to build an altar wherever they seemed fit to do so and worship God from that. But because of the way that the pagan nations in Canaan had so set up their, um, I don't know, religious structure, if you want to say it that way, they had come under this, this thinking. They've concluded logically, let's say it that way, that if you're up on a higher place, you're closer to God or the gods, and therefore that's a place to worship. You're not to worship God that way. God doesn't care if it's high or if it's in this massive ditch somewhere. If he says that's where it goes, that's where it goes, period. And that's what's to set them apart. That's what to, that's what's to create the stark contrast between pagans and what they're trying to worship as deity and the people of Yahweh. So it says, You shall eat in the presence of Yahweh your Elohim at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe, the one-tenth of your grain your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. Why? So that you may learn to fear Yahweh, your Elohim, always. Now we look through that and we see five divisions of tithing that would happen, all that would accumulate to the one-tenth. But notice it even goes into your livestock. It's the idea of whatever animals you're going to have. Well, one-tenth of them has to be dedicated to the Lord as well. But we often miss the first part. Look what it says, verse 23. You shall eat in the presence of Yahweh, your Elohim. I notice he says in a place that he's designated. Does that mean that you could only go there? You had to pick up your McDonald's, but you had, you couldn't open it up and get into your Happy Meal until you got in of course, front of God's presence? Didn't, it's not what it's talking about, then, no?
1: I mean, I'm not sure, because I'm writing through Leviticus, I'm not sure that I'm understanding the statutes and stuff like that there, and since it's related. Mm-hmm. Um, did they have to... And any time that they slaughtered something, did they have to bring that to the, uh, to the door of the place meeting?
0: I don't know that or, they had to do it every time that they did it.
1: Okay.
0: But the fact of is, if you were dealing with sin offerings, grain offerings, yeah. burnt offerings, uh, wave offerings, those types of things, all of that stuff was brought, okay, all of it. It
1: was, a, I'm thinking more of the peace offerings.
0: Okay. Yes, and, um, and here's, here's, something, here's something that we sometimes miss out on. And I think the reason is is because we've been, we've, we've got the mentality of we go to church is the mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It, you can't get through the law of God without recognizing that this it, that, that this is your life. Yeah. He's letting you know what life looks like now. Yeah. You, this wasn't the way you lived in Egypt when you were making bricks, when you were getting the snot beat out of you, that kind of thing, when you were living in fear. You now live in freedom, and God has given you a brand new philosophy of how to conduct your existence. Yeah. And so I don't know that there was... To answer your question, I don't know specifically, yeah. but I can say that generally overall, there was there was nothing of life that wasn't to be tethered to God. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So, e- even that would be considered part of it, yes. So, uh, you notice that the touches the wine, it touches the grain, touches the oil. Uh, wine and oil, of course, being very precious commodities at that time. But notice that the reason is that you may learn to fear Yahweh, your Elohim always why do you think that is
1: because he's their provider okay I mean it's in all of this is a recognition recognition that he is the provider of everything and not just trusting that there's more to come but everything that you've received from the beginning he he has control over all of that but uh, recognizing that all of this comes from him
0: mm-hmm Notice that by giving, in in, in all those categories, it's just a constant reminder of where it all comes from. Always. Remember the idea of fearing the Lord here? It can mean, oh my gosh, it's the Lord. It can mean that, but it can also be heavy in reverence. You know, we're just honoring him first before anything else. Absolutely. The whole idea. So, verse 24. If the distance is so great for you that you're not able to bring the tithe, Since the place where Yahweh your Elohim chooses to set his name is too far away from you when Yahweh your Elohim blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money. Now watch that. That's very interesting. I've got a tithe of grain, wine, oil, cattle, and flocks. Okay? So imagine that imagine that you're out, I don't know if you need to make like a Lego board and imagine that you're separating them all on one side of the Lego <laughs> board or something like that. But I've got this designation that's set aside that I'm going to give to the Lord. But by the time I get these cattle because they didn't have trailers back then, by the time I get these cattle and these sheep, all the way to Jerusalem, which is where they're going to, to plant everything out ultimately, and of course the temple's going to be erected and sacrifices are going to be moved in there and the whole deal. By the time I get it to wherever the tabernacle is established These animals are going to be dead. You see what I'm saying? Either that or I'm going to have to leave four weeks beforehand in order to pace them to get there. And I'm not going to be able to work the land here. And I'm going to have all kinds of problems. Robbers are going to move in and take stuff. I mean, who knows what in the world I'm going to deal with the threats in there. If that's the, the, the issue, then take them to the local market and exchange it all for cash is the idea. Now. What's fantastic about this is watch what happens because it branches in to give us an understanding of when you eat before Yahweh your Elohim. And it's actually really neat, and I don't hear enough about this being shown in the law. Verse 25, Then you shall exchange it for money, and bind the money in your hand, and go to the place which Yahweh your Elohim chooses. Now notice, it doesn't excuse you for making the trip. That's what's interesting. You still go, but now you can travel much lighter and get there much quicker, okay? Okay. Verse 26, you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. Good gravy. Does everybody see what that says? And notice what the word heart there is in your marginal note. Does everybody see? Soul. Your life. Whatever your life desires. You can spend the money on whatever you want when you get there. Now, we don't, we don't normally think about the law that way. We think of it very rigid and very reverent and kind of keep your head down, and it's almost like you're at Catholic Mass lighting candles Ooh, or something weird drink. like that. What's that?
1: Strong drink. We're not there yet, but yes. Sorry. Sorry, I grew up in the AG church. That's it's okay. significant. It's
0: okay. But notice what it says here. For whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, or wine, or strong drink, or whatever your soul, your life Desires. Notice notice the, the desire there. Whatever it asks of you. Whatever it longs for. Whatever it wants. God actually gives the freedom to do that. And coming to him, to the place that he designated, which is where we talk about sacrifices and those types of things. But that's not all it is. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. And look what it says. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God. Right? So we go back to uh verse 23 you shall eat in the presence of the lord your god same idea he's elaborating on it he says here and what's the word rejoice rejoice it's supposed to be happy it's supposed to be awesome it's supposed to be you know what it is it's a party
1: you get to spend 10 of your annual income you
0: get to spend 10 percent of your annual income on having a party and just being glad that god is your savior
1: That sounds like a
0: time. It sounds like amazing. Notice, you and your household. Bring the kids. They can come too. Right? Have fun. Amazing. Amazing. Take 10% of your stuff, bring it here, and have a party. Now, hold on. I got a text message. It might be danger. Nope. We're good. Somebody's wondering what they need to do with their Willie Nelson CDs. All right, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So notice it says in verse 27. Also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. The Lord is his portion, but he didn't receive anything as far as land and crops and things like that. They don't have it. So what you do is, is you don't only just throw a party for you and your household when you get there with 10% of your annual income, but you also make sure and get a priest involved. Now that sounds weird with our Catholic connotations, but in the Jewish time, you make sure that the Levitical line is taken care of as well. It's supposed to pour over onto them. Verse 27, or sorry, verse 28. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and shall deposit it in your town. Okay, that's block party. Maybe that's a little different. But look what he says: the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the foreigner, the orphan, those without parents, and the widow, those without a husband, who are in your town, shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that Yahweh your Elohim may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. So notice, there's no discrimination in this situation. Any any lines that we would put up of prejudice are completely gone out of this. Doesn't matter if you're a Levite, foreigner, orphan, widow, doesn't matter. Every third year, you bring that tenth of your produce into the town, and you know what that does? It makes sure that nobody goes hungry and nobody's poor. It's fantastic. It's it's an economic <coughs> shift in the society in which you live in. So now apply that to today. Imagine that all year you store up a tenth of annual income on all things. And donate it to the food pantry? Well, no. No, I'm, I'm I'm backing up real quick. And imagine, and understand, we're not under the law. We're not obligated to keep the law whatsoever. Gentiles have never been under the law. The law just condemns us of sin, and that's where it's at. Uh, but imagine that if we had something like this where we all met and we all set up in the parking lot and everybody used a tenth of what they had. And we went over to Walmart and we just had a massive feast. And it was a massive feast, not of indulgence necessarily, but it's worship. And it doesn't matter if you're drinking a beer. Who cares? Get over it. You know? And it doesn't matter if you had a shot. Get over it. What matters is that you're having self-control. Self-control. And you're celebrating responsibility. Sometimes that's hard for us to deal with in some of the legalistic upbringings that we may have had. But notice what he's saying. Have a good time. Worship me. Us having a good time should never be separated from worshiping him anyway, if we want to talk about how that applies. So then imagine that the third year comes around. And notice that it's not necessarily a designation to the food pantry. Maybe that would be a way to distribute it. But the idea is instead of throwing the party at the place where the Lord deemed and we all went there to where the Lord's house was, let's just say it that way, church of the Lord's house. I get it, church's uh-huh. body of people, but whatever. Um, stick with me, it's a very loose illustration. Uh, but imagine the idea is, no, we want to make sure that people are just cared for. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that they're provided for. We want to make sure they got plenty to eat. We want to make sure that they're able to have a good time too. Sometimes when we deal with people who are truly poor, and I think it's to say truly impoverished Uh, we want to give them enough but not too much. We want to have restrictions on how much they should be helped kind of thing. And I think we do that to our detriment. I understand why we do that is because we've often been abused. There are people who are not truly poor. The church that I came from was in a neighborhood that was incredibly impoverished. It would actually probably be considered the ghetto uh, of uh, Evansville. Uh, But the fact is you'd walk into people's houses and they had 56-inch screen TVs. All the kids are wearing brand new Jordans. They don't know how to manage any of it, and and they see that entertainment, those types of things, uh, and having Jordans so that your kid has a certain status at school is a way to bypass the fact that you're you're truly in a impoverished state. So when you get money, you don't use it wisely. You know, we always look at a situation. Well, why don't they do something smarter with their money? Uh, be, because they're they're consumed with the realm of the world. That's the reason why, and that's what dictates choices. Well, notice here in this situation, this party is distributed within the town. Everybody's invited. Everybody's involved. And no one goes hungry. No one's left behind in it. So are there any, any uh, questions about how we should do that? Any questions about any of that stuff? What do you mean how we do that? I mean, any, anything you want to add, apply, <laughs> pull from that? I'm just trying to leave it open where if there's any questions, we have the opportunity to ask
1: no we're not bound by the law and such but it does encourage it, it does encourage at least the idea of giving not just giving to the church as your and then to help the church body and stuff like that but to be generous to the people in your community and mm-hmm. and so forth it doesn't ask you what you think about the person that you're helping mm-hmm. it tells you like the idea or the principle is be generous to the people that you see who need it
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Whether inside or outside of the body.
0: Absolutely. There, There is a word in the New Testament called koinonia, and it's the word that is often translated fellowship. And I think that by looking at an idea like this, that God wants us to have a party, that God wants us to use our heart's desires and discernment uh, in order to rejoice uh, well in him and in who he is. Notice that the, the, the focus of it never shifts. It's never rejoicing in self, but that kind of gives us a glimpse into probably the same type of attitude that the church should be experiencing with one another. It's a celebration. It's not a groveling in the woes of life. It's, it's a Christ centered, um, awesomeness. That is, that is, yes, it, it is to be a completely Christ enthralled mentality. And we often miss out on that. And worldly things creep into that. So, this helps maybe give us a glimpse of God where, wow, he's not the harsh school teacher with the ruler tapping the hand or that kind of thing, maybe. It gets us out of that idea. So notice he says at the very end of that, they shall come and eat and be satisfied. Notice, eat to their fill is the idea, in order that Yahweh Yireh Elohim may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but this is conditional. This shows a conditional aspect of it. In other words, every third year, if you're willing to take your resources and distribute them and plug them in this way where you're caring for the widow and the orphan and the Levite and those people, the foreigner and all of that, guess what? God is going to turn around and bless you because you've obeyed what he said to make sure that you're not lacking in anything. We often get really concerned as Christians about getting taken advantage of. Well, if I give them all that, there won't be anything left for me. Time out. Who's God in your life? If he's not a God that's able to meet all the needs that you you have, then what in the world is he? You see what I'm saying? I mean, we we often sell that short because we allow for worldly logic to pop in and kind of restrain us from full obedience. I don't think that's a situation at all. We should really be a lot more um, open and free with it than probably what we are. If it's going to work out, if we get anxiety about it, God's going to take care of it. Why would he not? There are many ways to give to other people than just putting a check in an offering box. So, something to think about. So any questions before we move into chapter 15? Good? Pretty plain? Okay. <laughs> chapter 15 steps into the idea of economic policy and success. If we want to know what economic policy looked like for a nation of people and success for their society. Number one, it's pretty awesome. Number two, we do not operate like this at all. So what time we got? We got some time. Chapter 15, verse 1. You'll probably want to mark a lot in this chapter. We'll probably get to verse 11. We'll wrap it up. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. Now, for anybody that has student loan debt, you're thinking, "Woo! Why didn't I take my loans out with Israel? Right? Every seven years... Every seven years you shall grant a remission of debts. What does that mean? It means that no one has long term debt situation. Take out a mortgage on a house. How long are you in for it for? At least thirty years, right? Some people try to manage it a little bit better. Well, we're gonna do it in fifteen and interest rate here and you know, but still, people are making interest off that stuff. They love it when you take out those loans and they go for long periods of time. They love having long loans, and people get strapped down and bogged down by their loans, and they can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Well, notice the society of Israel was to operate in seven years, and that's it. When the seventh year comes up, all debts are forgiven. That's a pretty revolutionary concept right there. Notice how God's telling them how it's done. Verse 2. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother because, why? Yahweh's remission has been proclaimed. Now, number one, does everybody see that this is a society of grace? We often look at the law and we think of how rigid and stringent it is. and, Good grief, how's anybody ever going to live that way? How's anybody ever going to be operating that way? Number one, remember, it saturated all of life. Number two, the law is so full of grace, it's mind-blowing.
1: Also no interest
0: on in anything. We're not there yet. Sorry. Right. You always do that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what do you think it means because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed?
1: Because I said so?
0: Well it could be. <laughs> but think about Israel's life and history. Think about what the idea of remission means. In fact, there's another word in verse two that gives you what it means, and think about what it's pointing back to. It, it all it all attaches itself to a spiritual principle for Israel. What do you think, Brian? I see Release. it's doing. What's that? Release. 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 Their freedom. Where were they released from? Egypt. Egypt. Sin. I mean, yeah. If you think about it, up until the time of the Exodus, Yahweh was known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But after the Exodus, he is known as the God that released you from Egypt or that freed you from Egypt, that overcame Pharaoh. Uh, He's he's got this new massive master stroke that is going to further define who he is by his power. Why every seven years should there be a debt that's forgiven? Because it's going to always go back to the idea that God released you from your debt to him. God set you free. God broke the bondage that you were under at that time. And so the forgiving of debts the fact that the loan was wiped out completely and was not exacted on a person was to always remind them God forgave you in that way. You know, I had somebody come up to me after church just a few minutes ago and said, somebody wronged me really bad and I don't know how to forgive. I don't know where to begin with that. And so we went to Ephesians 4.32 and it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we talked about how you have to back up and you have to ask the question, how much have I been forgiven in the death of Jesus? And the idea is totally. My debt was to God, and it's been completely expunged. It's been completely expelled because of what another did. Now, did I deserve the forgiveness? Not at all, but that's what makes forgiveness about grace. And so how should you forgive that person? You can't wait for them to deserve it. They never will. They could try to pay back what they did wrong all that they want. It will never meet your expectations because our expectations will be always higher than their ability. So what do you have to result on? You have to result back to grace and you have to start with how much did God forgive me? That's how much I need to forgive that person. Well, in the same way, the idea is, well, I have this debt here, but my creditor has completely released me from that and I owe nothing anymore. Well, how fantastic that is. If you've ever paid off a credit card or bills or a loan or anything like that, you know how beautiful it is to get that paid in full stub in the mail or whatever. Right. Amy or sorry, Jamie's having revival in the back. I right, mean, but seriously, it's one of those thank you Jesus situations. Yeah. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yep. You think good grief, we don't know how we did it, but praise God it's gone. Well, notice in the we same didn't way. Do it. Huh? We didn't do well, yeah, that. but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. The idea that you're looking at and you're thinking that weight, that guilt is not there anymore. That's really what debt incurs and incurs guilt in us, at least on an emotional and spiritual level. Gone? Whew. Thank you, God. So let's release everybody's debts every seven years. And guess what? It's to remind you of how much God released you out of the Exodus. It's the freedom that's entailed. So notice it says here, verse 3, from a foreigner, you may exact it. <laughs> if you're from out of town, guess what? You got to pay everything. <laughs> from a foreigner, you may, and we'll see why. That sounds kind of heartless, but we'll see why. From a foreigner, you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother, your fellow Jew. However, there will be now. Pay attention to this. There will be no poor among you. Now that's a that's a huge statement and it's going to seem to contradict itself a little bit later in the chapter but think about this for a second we have an entire system called the welfare system that causes people to be reliant upon the government and we may have varying views about welfare whether it's good or bad or that kind of thing whatever it's not necessarily a debate i want to get in but notice that it makes you subservient to someone else for your sustenance that's that could be a good thing if it's done in the right direction. I think one thing that we have to remember, and again, I'm not anti-government. I'm not anti-America, and I'm not anti all that stuff. Uh, but what I think we have to remember is, is that the government is not our savior. The government is to be an extended instrument of God and his working in society. Uh, and when, when people who get into power lose sight of that and don't treat their offices humbly, with reverence is when we get into all kinds of problems because it trickles down on top of the people that they're supposed to be governing for well in this situation here with a foreigner uh, not to be released from those things and there being no poor among you the question is, it's good grief you wipe out something like the welfare system anybody know what that does for your taxes? if you were to have no welfare system to where the poor had to rely on it what would happen to your taxes? they'd all go down all of a sudden you find one of the reasons why taxes are so heavy is because of the indulgence of poverty on a lot of fronts in our, in, our, uh, in our state or in our country. Well, now notice God's got a different economic plan that's going to be way more successful. It's a different means. Uh, people would think that it's crazy. They would consider it foolishness because they're going to look at it from a solical perspective, a natural perspective. But look what he says. There will be no poor among you since Yahweh will surely bless you in the land. Which Yahweh, your Elohim, is giving you as an inheritance to possess. Now.
1: Inheritance
0: tax. Inheritance tax. No. None of that. Here, answer the question. Why will there be no poor amongst the people of Israel when they come into the land? What's the answer that's given?
1: They all have a share in the inheritance.
0: They all have a share in the inheritance, yes.
1: But
0: the Lord will surely bless you in the land. Ah, pulling the trigger is the Lord's blessing. Can you imagine trying to present the bill to congress to completely end the welfare system and the rationale that you give is the big answer well if we end that what are we going to replace it how are these people going to eat what's going to happen there well number one what do the preceding context excuse me a 14 tell us number one it told us that it was a responsibility of one another within our communities every third year to be caring for people. Now remember, we're not Israel, but just think about how revolutionary this would be for societies. So people are caring for one another, which puts them on a much more firsthand one-on-one basis and provides greater accountability than just receiving a free check in the mail and signing it, taking it and then spending it on whatever you want, okay? You find a lot less purchases in cigarettes if you were bringing macaroni and cheese over to somebody's house and meeting with them often. I mean, it just it just does but what's crazy about this is when you think through this, the solution is going to be to our bill we're presenting is God's going to bless us. Now, immediately, the government is stepping back and going, okay, <laughs>
1: Who's this God?" Yeah. Talking
0: about? Put, put the, put the straitjacket on this fool because they obviously don't, you know, they're not thinking clearly about all these things. You know, wait a second. Doesn't our money say in God we trust? Doesn't it say in God we trust above our, our Supreme Court? Don't we have a picture of the Ten Commandments resting there out front? I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's incredible what God wants to do, and unbelief about him has stifled and crippled economies because we refuse to acknowledge him. So notice God's giving a better way. There's going to be no poor among you. Why? I'm going to bless. There's the answer. Well, that's that's just not good enough. Find a hard time padding somebody's pocket. Find a hard time getting lobbyists involved in that kind of junk. You see what I'm saying? This type of economic approach eliminates all the garbage. It just it just flushes all the sludge out and down where it needs to be. So notice, when you when you come in and you you inherit the land, you possess it, God's going to bless. That's why you don't have to worry about there being poor there. Now, we're going to watch something that happens here. Verse 5. If. Oh, oh I love the word if in scripture. <laughs> if. In fact, one thing that will help us remember, especially in light of the law in Deuteronomy, when you see the word if, there is a contingency in play. Something needs to happen for blessing to incur. And remember, this is the whole basic of the basis of the Mosaic law uh, or the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant. God's going to bless. He's going to make this happen. He's going to do it regardless of what you do because God's God. That's the Abrahamic covenant. The Mosaic covenant with Israel is, if you will do this, then I will bless you. If you will obey me, then I will protect you. If you will be my people, then I will be your king. Okay, so all protection and sustenance and everything is contingent upon the idea of our devotion needs to be to Yahweh as Jewish people. Okay, so notice in verse 5, when it brings up if, that's a big old I-F, okay? If only you listen obediently to the voice of Yahweh your Elohim to observe carefully all this commandment which I am commanding you today. In other words, say it this way. If you will forsake the way that you want to structure your life as a nation and you will submit yourself to the guidelines that I am setting forth for how a nation can prosper under my love and care and provision, then you will never have a poor person in your midst. I will make sure that you are always blessed and there's not going to be a strain on society. Incredible. It really is revolutionary. It really is a matter of faith. Do I truly believe that God is telling me the truth about this situation? Will he really provide? So notice verse 6, 4. Here's the explanation. Yahweh your Elohim will bless you as he has promised you. Notice he's going to be faithful to his word. And notice what it says. And you will lend to many nations. Who are the nations? Everyone else. Gentiles. Everybody else. You can lend out to the nations, but look what it says, but you will not borrow. Why do
1: you think the Jews are some of the richest people in the world now?
0: Yes, we've always heard about how how the Jews are shrewd. It comes from this type of principle. We will not borrow from anyone. Yahweh is going to be our provider, but we will lend to you. Now, that's God's design for this nation. God's design is to take this little, know-nothing nation and to bring them to a place of such profound prospering that it's not going to make any sense except the idea of God must be with these people, to have the mark of God on them because of their flourishing. So notice, you will lend to nations, but you will not borrow, and you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. You will be the pinnacle. You will be the chief over all nations if you obey his commandments. Now we all know this verse. We might not even know the scripture reference where it's located, but the borrower is to who? The The lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. Israel was not to be in debt to anyone. They were not to be slave to anyone. They were not to be taking anything from, oh yeah, we'll pay you back. No, 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 no. Any business dealings like that, The Jews did not enter into those things. It was completely contrary to everything of who God is in his person. This is why when you see, see, whenever you examine the life of Solomon, for instance, his mistake was not in the fact that he was building altars and everything because of all these women he's married. The mistake was drawing it all the way back to why he married the women. Does anybody remember why he married those women? So to
1: prevent war?
0: To prevent war? And they were political alliances. He actually married the daughter of Pharaoh out of Egypt. Now think about Israel's previous dealings with Egypt and how they were treated. And why did he do that? Well, we don't want any problems here. Seems like a good thing to do. You you, you got 299 wives already. Why not take her too and just make sure to shore some things up there? It ain't no big deal. That all sounds logical, good, well, peaceful, blah, blah. It also sounds godless. Like a it's a very godless it does it sounds like a, it's a very godless conclusion to make because you stop trusting you stop having faith there's no reason to hold god's hand moving forward you're taking care of things yourself god you sit down we'll, we'll get to you later i got this right here dangerous stuff what's well, the same idea here you borrow from somebody else trouble they've actually put you in a position to where now they are ruler over you in that situation so look at verse seven if there's a poor man with you now you say okay wait whoa, 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 whoa stop 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 weren't we just told up here in verse four that there will be no poor among you why all of a sudden is he bringing up the idea of a poor man with you it's well not,
1: well it's not a socialist nation it's not like everybody has the same amount of money there's it's not true going to be people who have more money and less money it's just not going to be that nobody's going to be
0: destitute. yes Notice that the idea of capitalism is actually an incredibly biblical concept. It's not to be the, the end of everything as people have made it. Money is not a god. But the idea that you are rewarded for hard work and the time you put in and the labor that you do, absolutely. That, that's, that's a merit system that is worked time and time again. So you're exactly right. So notice, if there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers... In any of your towns, in your land, which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you. Does everybody see that he made sure and covered all the bases before he says what comes next? <laughs> you know, if there's a guy anywhere, in any place, in anywhere that you guys are at. Yeah, it doesn't matter, right? Look what he says. You shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. Notice that he stretches past logistics. He stretches past... Well, we got to have a savings plan and those types of things. And he reaches right into the heart. And he said, the one approach you're to have towards someone who is poor is that you're not to harden your heart to him. Now, here's an interesting thing. How many people is Moses talking to at this point? Probably a couple million people. Mm -hmm. Notice it's not all resting on one person. Notice, well, it's just on Amy to make sure that this gets done for this person. That's not it. It's not a burden on one family for the society for the prosperity of another person who's fallen into hard times or who isn't making enough money to make ends meet. Notice it stretches across to everybody of the nation. Do you think that if it stretched across two million people, that person's need could be met pretty quickly? Everybody see that? And it doesn't become an overarching burden on everybody else. Well, somebody's got to do it. No, that's somebody who's just sitting there milking the system for the whole thing. And notice that this doesn't allow for any of that. It dispels a lot of these pitfalls that we've got in our own economic system. So he says here, You shall not harden your heart. It deals with the personal attitude of the person. Nor close your hand from the poor brother. But you shall freely... I love the word freely there. You shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. In other words, when you aid somebody who's truly in need, don't worry about the boundaries you put on it. Don't, well, we can only really give them this much. Go above and beyond. Set them up for success. Is that not what God has done with us? Just the simple fact we have the indwelling Holy Spirit has put us in a whole nother realm uh, of, of seeing things that can happen in our lives which we never have before. Give more, give generously. Don't let don't be a curmudgeon. I love that word. A curmudgeon. A grumpy old one of those griping people. You know, I mean, just don't be that person. Don't get in that attitude. Notice the words. You shall freely open your hand. You shall generously lend him sufficient for his need. Notice not his want, his need, and whatever he lacks. Verse 9. Now here comes a prohibition. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying. Now watch this. And man, does God not know how we operate? The seventh year. The year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing, then he may cry to Yahweh against you, and it will be a sin in you. In other words, here's what it is. You're marching along here, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And your brother comes to you right here. And you look at it and you go, It's October. All we got is November and then December. And that seventh year hits and I have to release all debts. And this guy needs $5,000. How much is he going to be able to pay back in those two months? I think he can do 2,500 a month. You see what I'm saying? God knows the heart. And so notice, don't look at the time and let that be a factor of whether or not you lend to the person. Because notice how he just pierces this thing. He says here, the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your brother. Everybody see it's a heart attitude. So, in other words, you lash out at them. How dare you come to me with only two months left? You good for nothing? You know that you can't pay me back. I'm, gosh, I'm spitting on myself. I mustn't be into it. But notice that. You you can't pay me back in that. It says here, and you give him nothing then he may cry to Yahweh against you. So he cries out to the Lord for help and you're in sin. In other words, because you were so consumed with self-preservation and you were going to get the short end of the stick, you just assume, send the person on their way instead of getting the short end of the stick. You okay? You know what's amazing? I never find one place in scripture ever where God says, be overly concerned with whether or not you're getting the short end of the stick. Instead, trust who God is in the midst of all that, and take the short end. It's like the whole idea in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 about lawsuits, believers filing lawsuits against believers. He says, why not instead just be defrauded? Why would you want to drag all this garbage out in the middle of pagan nations? Just take the short end of the stick. Well, that's not fair. Well, you don't know what they got away with. God does. And God said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. So
1: that's why you give books instead of lending
0: them. You give books instead of lending them. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good good way to look at it. So now notice verse 10. Instead of that, what in the world should we do? Remember, Yahweh promised to bless if the people will follow him, right? He's already promised a blessing. What more reinforcement do you need to have a good attitude towards somebody in need? So he says verse 10. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, Yahweh your Elohim will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. In other words, if you trust God on this and have a right heart in addressing them, address them with compassion and love and generosity and those types of things, and you supply abundantly for them so that they're able to get the need that they have and they're set up in a way to be prosperous moving forward, then everything that you think that you're lacking, God's going to fill in. You don't have to worry about it. It's not even a situation. Why? Because you trust in the blessing of God and God's proven himself faithful over and over again. Verse 11, four, the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother and uh, to your needy and poor in your land. In other words, that was to be your response as a Jew. Every time I'm to give generously, I'm to open my hand freely. I'm to love that person and set them up for prosperity moving forward, economically speaking. Now here's a question. Can anybody think of why in verse eleven it says, For the poor will never cease to be in the land? Why does he bring that up? Why would God make sure that there never ceases to be a poor person in Israel? I mean he just if got done saying rich,
1: there's no reason to be generous.
0: Okay, so if everybody's rich and prosperous, there's no reason to be generous. And if God is giving this as a command, what's it imply that the poor are serving as? An illustration. An illustration, yes. Take it one (laughs) step further. A test. Oftentimes God uses the poor to test us. To test our generosity. To test if we'll be good stewards of what he's given us. Being a good steward is not following the Dave Ramsey approach. A lot of people associate Dave Ramsey with Christianity and all that, fine, cool, he's a believer, whatever. But the idea is biblical stewardship is paying off your debts good? Yes, it's good. Is having something in, in savings good? Yes, it's good. If you've got a church that's sitting on $500,000 in savings and you've got people who are struggling in the body, come on, man. Well, if we give to them, we're going to have to give to everybody that's struggling. If we do that, we're going to deplete our resources. And what in the world are we going to have to fall back on whenever? what godforsaken meteorite hits us so we're going to all be destitute. Where's the faith in God in that situation? You see what I'm saying? We often use very selfish reasons in order to neglect those people. Now, I will tell you this. Um, I praise God for Vern. For, for Vernon Vongen is our treasure. Mm-hmm. Because Vern has always taken a grace approach to people, to love them, to help them, to have very much an attitude of, Let's not worry about it. God's our provider. And I've learned a lot from him. I've learned a lot from him. Because I came from a church that had nothing. I mean, I'm like, hey, you think we can buy some Post-it notes? And I was told no. That's kind of where we're at. We really don't have it in the budget to do that. You know, here, I've got stacks of Post-it notes on my desk. (laughs) And for no other reason to remind me, you know, of those types of things. So, how do we apply that to now? Number one, God's our provider. That situation hasn't changed. Number two, God will always send somebody our way to ask the question, will you trust me and love this person at the same time? So, Any questions? Verses 1 through 11. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that we would look past our self-serving and self-preservation and self-seeking. We would recognize that you are the God who provides in all situations. How blessed we are to know that you are Father. And I pray that be an awesome understanding, an awesome hope that builds us up and encourages us every day. pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. (coughs)